Bond yields are way up today, making new highs after decades when we just thought they were going to go down. What does that mean for stock market? And how is Bitcoin having an October moment and continuing to rage even in the face of high bond yields? I wasn't going to show up today, but here I am on the West Coast trying to sympathize with James Lavish and see what it's like to be awake at 6 o'clock a.m. to do these streams. I've got James, Mike McGlone, and Dave Weisberger as usual. You guys don't want to miss this one. Let's go. Let's go. What is up, everybody? I'm Scott Melker, also known as the Wolf of All Streets. Before we get started, please subscribe to the channel, hit that like button. Yes, I am in a very dark hotel lobby somewhere in the mountains of Northern California, and I got FOMO, guys. We were going to let James, Mike, Dave do the show by themselves. Of course, I was awake and I decided, come hell or high water, I was going to be showing up. But I am going to bring them on because they have much better quality than me. I've got Mike, James, and Dave. Good morning, gentlemen. Mike, yields are ripping. What's going on here, man? Uh, well, good morning. I want to maybe if I can share a screen since um, I'm glad you showed up because I love that look. Uh, I just want to show a few shines <laughs> first and just just take two minutes to show you this. Part of the reason yields are going up is what you're seeing is a significant pickup, massive more supply in government deficits. And one thing I want to show out what's happening is what I'm really worried about is great reset is almost every time we've had deficits increase as much, you have a recession. Why? Because you prime the pump, revenue increases, deficit goes up. This is the first time since 1970 deficits are going up this much. Stock market's not going down or not in recession yet. And what I want to point out is this is the great reset I see happening is this great gaping jaw situation started in 2015. Deficits increase and the stock market's still going up. To me, that's the problem. And to me, that's what's kicking in this morning. I still want to show a little bit of what's happening. And I view in the stock market. This is going back, you know, to 1928, how expensive the stock market is versus GDP. And to me, that's what's kicking in this morning. The market's starting to realize it's awesome that Bitcoin's up. I hope that continues. But if we get a normal correction in the stock market for a normal recession, this is going to be a problem. And that's where everything's starting to tilt this morning. You mentioned bond yields. I had to show you this chart of bond yields. 10-year note yields reaching the highest since right around, uh, let's see, 2007 this morning right there. 2007, yeah. Yeah, but I want to show you this one thing. If you take this and you make it in log format, which shows the rate of change, it's so, see how big that move is? I wanted to compare it to the stock market crash of 1987. This, See this? That's when bond yields peaked the day, the weekend before the stock market crash. Um, and to me, that's so significant to show what's happening. Bond yield spiking, crude oil spiking is bad for risk assets, the stock market. And I just want to also bring in crude oil. Crude oil is spiking recently. I do love when people point out how significant it is. It's the worst performing commodity. In white, I show you the bloom. It is. I mean, it's just a fact. Um, and there's good reasons for that. We, when we have time, I'll dig in later. But I just want to point out this little bounce we had in crude oil last year was below the recent high and well, and well underneath the Bloomberg Commodity Index making new highs. So what happens every time commodities spike like that? They crash. Why? Because their own worst enemy. They bring on that supply and they reduce demand. So I just want to show you one other things we're opening in Bitcoin. The key problem I have in Bitcoin is liquidity. That's what I show you in, in, in white. That is the federal fund Fed fund futures in one year, basically showing you when that kicks up, that means the Fed's going to start pivoting, the market starts pricing for it. Here's what's changed. The last two times we had pivots from the Fed, 
it was after Bitcoin swooned, after Bitcoin declined. No, the Fed doesn't care about Bitcoin, but it's a good leading indicator. So I'm hoping maybe as Dave, and I know Dave's going to be right eventually about this, Bitcoin can start showing strength above that 30,000 um, 30, level and you know reject that downward sloping 100-week moving average. But it typically doesn't happen without a Fed pivot. Now, there might be a reason for that to do that. But here's one thing I want to point out in a broader market in terms of you take the Russell 2000 to its small caps. It's bouncing right on almost tilting over down, down on the year just about there. And if you overlay that with the Bloomberg um, crypto index, it's been way underperforming. The crypto has been way underperforming just the stock market since the peak in 2017 and most recently. But now they're both kind of hovering at this level and it's both tilting lower. And that's the key thing I'm worried about. And this is what I'll end with is my morning thing. I just want to show it a few charts. Is This came out from our economics team on Sunday. It's completely counter to what most people were thinking six months ago. And this is our economic team is main steadfast, as I have, that this recession is going to be a great reset. Now they're starting, you know, everybody kind of gave up on it and they never did. Now they're starting to tilt over. Yes, it might be as bad as some people think, even though the Fed thinks it's going to be a soft landing. So to me, that's where I want to end with. And to me, that's where the macro is so important is if the stock market drops to a normal recession, it'd be wonderful so for Bitcoin not to fall. Right now, it's showing divergent strength. That's great. But if we get that normal 30 40% correction, um, risk assets go down and Bitcoin's one of the riskiest. Back to you. I do have to say, Mike, you know, in Dave's defense of maybe he'll be right, we are, you know, we have seen, I guess, divergent strength was stopped dropping and Bitcoin trading sideways. It's at low, yeah. very low historical correlations. And now we get the seemingly inevitable at this point, October 1st move to the upside, right? We didn't see it in 22, yeah. but I think it was 21. We were just talking about it went from 43,000 to 48,000 on October 1st. In 2020, it made an equally sizable move now making the same and sort of so showing that divergent strength you mentioned. And, you know, in his, uh, in Dave's defense here too, for pulling up these charts, we have the 200 MA on the weekly. We haven't broken it yet, but if we break above it, that is a major trend change with 50 and 200 MA pointing up. And we now have price trading. We'll see where it closes today above the 200 on the daily, above the 100 on the daily and hitting that key resistance. So some of those trends you're talking about, we are now starting to attack, which makes it possible that we will get those indicators you're talking about. But James, I do want to go I remember you wrote this amazing thread going back to bond yields on why they're spiking high. Well, sounds ominous, but why? Can you give us your rundown on what you think is happening here with yields before we move on fully to Bitcoin? Yeah, you know, I mean, the bottom line is we're we're at a point here where people are realizing that we have a wall of treasuries coming. You know, we 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 have uh, we're running such large deficits, and we've talked about it ad nauseum about the debt spiral. For you and I have talked about it for over a year, and, and Dave and and now Mike. But um, you know, the problem is we have we we're running such large deficits uh, with interest rates continuing to be high, and and the Fed talking higher for longer. We know that rates are going to remain higher. We've got 40% of treasuries that are that are maturing in the next year and a half. We've got, uh, you know, just a, a, we've issued $1.7 trillion or we, we've actually added $1.7 trillion to the, the debt in the last 16 weeks. Um, and so what's happening is investors are demanding higher premiums. They know that there's going to be volatility going forward. Uh, investors are expecting the, this uh, the, just a, a tsunami of debt coming at them. 
long-term debt, the treasury can't continue to just issue T-bills forever. You know, they, they mature within a month to three months. And so they, they're, they're, they've been teasing money out of the reverse repo, but that's, that is only going to go for so long. They've got to start issuing uh, longer-term treasuries. So if you, I, I did pull up a chart. I don't know if you can access it, uh, Scott, but um, you know, there's there, and it comes from Bloomberg. I was just kind of uh, looking around Bloomberg this morning and there's a bunch of stories about how investors are, are looking for premium now. And, uh, and so here's a 10 year and you can see right here in this little dot all the way to the right, it's finally turned positive where investors are, are demanding a premium. Right. And what is that premium? Well, it, it kind of, it, it's, uh, it's a few things, right? So you've got your, your expected policy rate, which is the terminal rate where the, the Fed's going to stop, right? That terminal rate is where the Fed stops. And you could see just how this has picked up dramatically in the last few months. And the reason is all of the, the deficits we're running and the amount of debt that people are expecting to come to the market, the investors are expecting. And so you can see that light orange, is that's the premium that that investors are demanding for for these bonds. And, and that's how much that we're, we're expecting you know, this is where yields are expected to kind of go. And if you listen to Bill Ackman, he's he's saying that we could reach uh, 7%. And actually, I think Jamie Dimon said that as well. And uh, and if you, you reach that level, I mean, that's a massive move in these long-term bonds. And, and so they're selling off. And you could see that uh, investors are worried about holding these because of the duration risk you've got. And what that means is the longer it takes for a bond to mature, the more that that higher interest rate compounds on the price. And so that price drops a lot more dramatically. Right. And so that's a big deal. And so that's that's kind of what we're seeing. And now now we're talking about. Hard landings, soft landings, uh, the 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 fact that uh, yeah, that people start talking about soft landings you know you guys remember um i know that dave and mike remember you probably remember the scott when when uh this was back in in 2007 i think or 2008 when when uh when yellen was saying soft landing literally weeks before we we hit the recession and so it happens every single time that this is the the number of times that soft landings is being mentioned in mainstream media and people get complacent and they don't realize that there's a lagging effect there's this is 18 month lag of of when policy rates kick in and so here we are we've raised rates up to over five percent and we we haven't really felt those effects yet we're starting to feel them now and Really, the reality is, I think we've already gone too far, and at some point here, we're we're going to just have some sort of credit event or something that uh, that kicks in, and that's and that's the big issue. And so people are are really concerned about that. So um, if you look at the the Fed funds rate and when we pause and when recessions hit, it you know you could see here that there's a pause. Recession, pause, recession, pause, recession, pause in the middle of recession, pause, recession. I mean, it, it it it's a little bit of a lag, but it happens just about every single time. This is this is no no you know this is no news to us. I think you're you're on mute, Scott. Yeah, that chart you showed with the soft landing mentions was astounding. 
<laughs> right? I've never that, seen that before. That, that, that was a crazy, crazy chart. chart. I just saw this morning. I mean, look at the yeah. look how many how many soft landing uh, mentions there are in 2023 here. I mean, I don't know, I know if but it's just look at the past. I mean, dude, that or, huge spike. Yeah. Mike, tell me how does how's how's a hundred dollar oil oil how is hundred dollar oil going to help a soft landing? Exactly. Well, it's funny, you know, you know how history rhymes. Um, I and it was one of those trades I got right. I, I'd rather talk about those, but two thousand eight was such a classic <laughs> example. I never really still haven't got a good reason for that spike up to one forty five, but it made a lot of sense when it dropped to forty bucks a barrel, and that to me would make a lot of sense if it still drops to forty bucks a barrel. As a whole world tilts towards recession, the thing is that spiking oil and spiking bond yields can accelerate those recessionary problems. Now we're not all doom and gloom. We're pointing out facts, and maybe Dave will come back and some counter on this. And that just the thing about. Dave being right. I know he will be eventually about Bitcoin being that digital going, but I'm just, we got to get through this, this period of maybe we won't go down of a normal risk asset decline in a normal recession. And this isn't going to be normal. Remember, this was in the back of the longest period in history of zero interest rates, which was what, where we came well up with Bitcoin. Dave, you get to unpack all of that. Godspeed. <laughs> well, first of all, let's be very clear. The Fed is, is totally effed. Uh, I've been saying this for, well, pretty much since we started this podcast. And, you know, if I'm Jerome Powell, I am, I, I will be one foot out the door. I mean, he's been talking about inflationary expectations. He's been trying to get monitor and decrease aggregate demand in order to do that. And we are on pace if the fourth quarter has the same uh, for going, you know, we could hit 500,000 workers on strike for double digit pay increases. Now, people who have watched your podcast are pissed off at me because I said the UAW was looking for 36%. It is over four years. That would be 9% per year. 9% yeah. per year is triple what people think the target rate is and four and a half times the Fed's actual target rate. Every single one of these striking uh, unions are demanding double to five times what the Fed's target rate of inflation is. Wage push inflation is Powell's worst fear. Just remember that. Repeat it. Because if you don't understand it, then you don't know what the hell he's trying to do. At the end of the day, monetarists who believe that monetary policy is the only thing to, be able to, to deal with inflation and the only cause of inflation understand or believe they understand this, but there's a lot more to it. The reason in the 70s that we had a million and a half to two million workers per year going on strike at the peak was because we had this thing called stagflation. And people don't want to mention that. I believe we are set up for stagflation. I believe we are set up for much higher long rates until the Fed, until the, the, the federal government comes in and either does one of two things. They only have two choices. There are only two things they could do. Thing number one, they could massively deregulate to spur economic growth. That's what Trump was trying to do. That's what Vivek wants to do. That is what some of the people on the Republican side want to do. But others of them just want to control the government for, to do the stuff they want it to do. That's that's possibility number one. Possibly number two is devalue the damn currency and have a massive inflationary spike over a couple of years in order to relieve the pressure, which is exactly what Roosevelt did when he devout when he confiscated gold and then revalued it upwards by you know a, a ridiculous amount from twenty to thirty five plus after he stole the gold from everybody. 
Now, is there enough stuff that he didn't? I mean, he, there's no other word for it. And of course, in the period of the Great Depression, courts go along with, quote, emergency powers. We could talk about whether it's, it's constitutional. Or not. Now, the good news for Bitcoin is it is so small as to be irrelevant for any of this stuff. So, so keep in mind what you're talking about. I mean, the numbers that James is talking about uh, of federal deficit, we have spent more T-bills, more, more T-bills, more than double Bitcoin's entire market cap in T-bills since they, they, they quote, you know, op, uh, up the spending limit, right? Just think about that for a second. Uh, uh, you're, you're shaking your head, James. Am I, is my number wrong? It's, or No, it's just insane. It's absolutely it, insane. Exactly right. So, so we we are in a situation where the reason I think Bitcoin delinks, and I think it delinks from you know from demand from people who want to opt out of the system, is that it should delink. Actually, Bitcoin is, if anything, at its core, it is an attempt at to create hard money out of it, backed by energy. And I'm tired of people saying it's not backed by anything. That's bullshit. You can't say. Bitcoin uses more electricity than Sweden and say, which it doesn't, but you know, whatever you can't, you can't make the outrageous claims they make on the environment and claim it's backed by nothing. It is backed by energy. We understand that. Michael Saylor says it every single time someone asks him, it's tiresome to hear people say that it isn't. So the question is, is what, what, what should it be? Bitcoin is backed by energy. It is the hardest money ever created. It has most of the best characteristics of money, and we could debate that. At the end of the day, the market is giving it a chance, giving the probability of Bitcoin making and becoming digital gold and beyond in a in a world in the world that we live in of probably less than four percent. So you're talking about an option. And so, yes, Mike, I do think that Bitcoin can delink under this sort of a scenario. In point of fact, I think recognition of stagflation and economic disaster is what would cause Bitcoin to delink. Now, does it delink on day one? Of course not. That's not the way it works. If we do get a 87 style crash or even some slow motion version of that, then, yeah, everything will go down. That's true. I don't know if that will happen. I think people are trying to put money in growth stocks in, in, in at ridiculous valuations, people look at at, at the, the affordability of housing and they say, well, uh, it can't go, uh, you know, it, it can't keep going up. And then, you know, they can't afford it because we're right now at all time lows. We have a problem, right? It is a, a serious problem. When you start looking at bond yields, I mean, look, the rest of the world's been living this for a while. I mean, when you compare the U.S., you know, we're, the fact that the U.S. is 4.6 on the 10 year and, you know, and the U.K. is, is less than that, 4.492. And I was just there and they don't believe their government even has a way to it to grow their way out of it uh, compared to Japan, where the 10 year yield is 0.776. Now, we know it's manipulated, but understand that's what's coming here, coming to a store to, to an economy near you is the need to manipulate the long end of the curve. I'll say it's slower. They need <laughs> to manipulate the long end of the curve downward a la Japan or the federal government does not have any room left for any discretionary spending. If we get 7%, then there is, there is no balanced budget unless the federal government ceases to spend on pretty much everything they have that's discretionary. It, it's or they just, yeah, they just shut down the social security program, some mandatory expenses. There's just no way around it. Right. Well, well, so, well you know, they still wouldn't more. get there though, but they still wouldn't get there. They that wouldn't, wouldn't even there. be enough. 
Yeah. Well, if you look at the numbers, they could literally spend nothing and the debt service would be too much. The entire world knows they have to inflate away the debt. So this is that, and I'm going to do it again, Scott. This is classic princess bride. You know, you surely can't choose the glass in front of me. The whole world is looking at this saying, okay, the U.S. government debt, and it's not just the U.S. government, it's outside of Germany. It's pretty much the entire G7 debt is unsustainable. We know that. And so what's going to happen? Well, what's going to happen is they're going to keep kicking the can down the road, and that's what they do, and they've been doing it. Whether they will continue to be able to do it, we'll see. The problem that we have that's different today is we have no leadership in our country, none, full stop. This isn't political. This isn't you know Democrats versus Republicans. We have a country being run by a shell, and there are people who are making economic policy couldn't understand this conversation don't understand what you're saying, what James is saying, what I'm saying, or they, they didn't learn it. They don't understand it. And so we don't have anybody who can take decisive action. And that is a problem. Even yeah. the ones who do, the ones who do understand, if you, you know, if you listen to, to Jeff Booth, they'll just say, look at the incentives, you know, look at the incentives of the system. The system is, is broken and the incentives are another four years. That's it. Period. Those are the incentives. And, you know, why wouldn't you want another four years? If you can if you can get one hundred and twenty to one hundred and eighty thousand dollars salary and be worth one hundred million dollars. Why not? You know, I mean, like, that's a great deal. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, the the point I want to make here is, look, Bitcoin, October, all the stuff, you you know, look, it's a squiggle, you know, in a long term chart. If you're looking at the difference between well, you know, point, you know, whatever, say 3.8% or 3.8001% probability of becoming digital gold. It's these are these are trivial numbers in the long run. And unfortunately, you know, it, it's it, 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 I look at Bitcoin very different than the rest of crypto, the rest of the Bloomberg Galaxy Index. There's a lot of stuff in there that is essentially that are tech stocks and are going to move as NASDAQ or should move as NASDAQ. So a lot, you know, it is what it is. Look, I don't disagree. I have never disagreed uh, with Mike's fundamental thesis that the economy is, is barreling towards a cliff. The question is, will they be able to quickly build the road out connecting that cliff to the next, the next high point so that, you know, up further so the cliff gets higher and higher? That's really the question. It always has been the question. One last point. There are still a majority of people in this administration who subscribe to modern, modern monetary theory. Ugh. And you, you could, we could wish that it isn't so, but it is true. So at the end of the day, what does modern monetary theory say about all this? Well, it says that, if, that, we, have, that, that we could print money uh, in order to paper over this. And, 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 we can, and the most important thing, and there are some very smart people who will make the following statement. They will say, that if we can incentivize capital back over labor, which, of course, this genie is very hard to push back in the bottle. You've heard me say it, that we could remove inflationary pressures. That's why you can get things like, you know, oil going down in an environment where, you know, you know where all this stuff is happening. It hasn't happened because the, the fact is, is the regulatory state has made it really, really hard to pump oil. And people are, are forward looking, looking at it. The same thing is true about all the aspects of supply chains across the economy. And that's something that's important. So, you know, it, it, these things are all connected. But I listen to Mike every week and every week I think, oh, my God, he's absolutely right. And then the question is, I then think, OK, will they be able to kick the can down the road? Will we be able to sustain this, this seemingly wily e. coyote over the cliff? 
of, of valuations on home prices, on I mean, general equities, on whatever, vis-a-vis bond yields, where usually, you know, you would expect the S&P dividend yield to be higher than long-term bond yields. Not so anymore. You know, you haven't mentioned that one today, Mike. But that's well, it really, really comes down to, Dave, what it comes down to, and Mike, and, and, and you're itching to, uh, um, to respond to like seven <laughs> things that Dave said here, but what it really comes down to is- Can me off. You know, um, can, how how bad it, it, does the economy? You know, see, does the economy seize up? And and really, what the the uh, the issue is, is, does the treasury market seize up? That's the problem. Is if the if the treasury market seizes up, we know we're going to have QE infinity instantly. It is an instantaneous process where they're going to print money and monetize debt because they have no choice but to keep the treasury market liquid. Period. Full stop. That's the biggest problem. And so the question is, how many times can they do that? And how big is that print going to be? That's that's really all it comes down to, because you only have a, maybe one or two more cycles of this. And then it, 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 you're literally, why am I Republic? You know, there's no there's no way out of that. And so um, the but can they kick this down the road, like you're saying, long enough with high enough inflation that we sustain it? and bridge that gap before we have a treasury market seize up where we have illiquidity and they have to step in. That's the big question for me. So, so I got to follow up and that's a lot of good stuff there. I want to follow up a few good charts if I can share a screen on those. Um, and that is, um, first of all, we, we know what's happening with the deficit. It's increasing exp- uh, rapidly and bond yields are going up. But what's not happening yet is the dollar is hanging in there. Why? Because dollar is the least worst of all the other f- fiat currencies. And, yes, so. and higher interest rates here, you know, just interest rate yeah. parity, right? So but that's that's what I show you here. Exactly. Interest Parity and what you showed is it's unstoppable force right now, stoppable force, particularly when it's so yielding so much higher than um, the top leading economies in the in the world, China, Japan, Germany. So here, right. here's the dollar. But what you do is overlay the dollar with the stock market. That to me is part of that lose lose. The stock market has to goes down basically for the dollar to give up the ghost to not break the global economy. And and to me, that's where, you know, you see that spiking in bond yields. We see it, this spike is the most significant ever in in um, in log. But what I want to also point out is what a few things that Dave said about um, I'm expecting severe deflation, which is a normal situation after you have a massive spike in M2 like we did. This is M2 money supply. Mm-hmm. And also I overlay this on the same scale with PPI. Now, here's a fact about PPI, the producer price index. It's basically synonymous with economies with um commodities, the high from 2008 was plus 9.9%, so about 10%. You know what the low is this year? Minus 3.1. That's tilting towards deflation because the plateau is so high now. Like the average home, we talked about this last week, home average is around 400 before a couple of years ago. It was 200. Now there's only a lot of room for that to go down, which shows deflation. And to me, that's the main thing that's going to be happening is kicking off to normal deflationary trends. And there's one thing I also want to show is there's a big problem with alts. What I show you in white is just that this is the market vector digital one half one one um, digital assets 100 small cap index divided by Bitcoin. I mean it's just trading lower. That makes sense. I mean Bitcoin's the 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 benchmark crypto. But what is the overlay with with liquidity from Fed funds? 
it's heading lower. The key thing I'm worried about is what happens if the stock market takes that lead and, and, and heads lower. And the one thing I want to point out is when you talk about crude oil and commodities, this is the number one chart that's been pressuring crude oil for the last 15 years. What I show you in white, that's the excess of liquid fuel production versus consumption in the U.S. and Canada um, running around 6 million barrels a day. That's enough to SP, fill up the SPR in about 70 days if we just cut off exports. Sorry, rest of the world, but we can do that. Right before this massive spike in 2008, it was running a deficit of 11 million barrels a day. What is that about? That was during the Obama, the Obama administration. We, you know, it's just fracking and horizontal drilling, the ability to create more with less and use more. That's the significant thing. But to me, what I just put in this little chart too is Fed funds. Bottom line is the liquidity is just pointing very negative. So that's why I kind of push back and anybody who talks about, I think, yes, stagflation in the short term, tilting over to deflation. And what's going to be the best way to show that is if the stock market goes down and we'll see those deflationary forces. If it doesn't, that's so much stagflation. And I'll end with this. This weekend, I was going to publish something that I think is going to be profound. You know what will make all this stuff work out is the markets will make our leaders come to terms. The markets will make, okay, fine, we can't, this deficit is unsustainable, so the markets and markets collapse. Yeah, they'll do something about it if it's because of the stock market going down and deficits increasing, but that's the problem. It might mean markets might need to make our leaders do be rational and do something about these unstoppable negative forces. Be rational. Yeah, I mean, looking at the dollar, this is a, an astounding run that the dollar is now on. It's basically ended any argument that it's in a bear trend here, bear market. I mean, it's making higher highs. And I mean, was that one, two, three, four, five? It's like 12 weeks in a row, green. So, I mean, I mean there's some, but that chart is, is literally the, the part where my thesis comes from, Scott. With all due right. respect, I know I'm, I know, you know, monetarists like Milton Friedman and the, and the people who I believe with are you know whatever we're, we're dinosaurs inflation is a monetary phenomena and the amount of money being printed globally is absolutely off the charts the amount of everything in terms of money is off the charts you don't get deflation if the denominator continues you know if the if the numerator or however you want to look at it in in, in that environment and the reason the dollar is going up is because it's the best damn worthless piece of fiat out there right you know it's like where are you going to put your money you're going to put your money in the pound you're going to put your, you know, post-Brexit, what's going on there. You're going to put your money in the euro where their economies are, you know, well, well let's just say not as vibrant. You're going to put your money in China, which has built multiple cities that are standing empty and, you know, massive misallocation of capital on an epic scale. You're going to put your money in the yen where we've talked about they have 0.77 long-term yields despite a debt to GDP at around 230, is it? I think, James, yeah. you know, it's like, where the hell are you putting your money? The answer is, is we're all playing Monopoly and at some point, you know, it's game over, but, you know, maybe the game continues. Just remember on a global scale and on, an, on a historical scale, 1971, that's when this started, when Nixon depegged from gold. So, and it doesn't matter that it's gold. It matters that it's something, right? When Nixon depegged from gold, the world went on a fiat standard. We are literally not even 75 years into a monetary experiment compared to 5,000 years of, of human history. I mean, when you look at, you know, there's a chart, you know, the, the, the Fred, the St. Louis Fed does a great job with charts. And I'm sure it's the same thing. When you look at the up and to the right nature of consumer credit, 
and you want ask yourself, where is the econ economic strength, the resilient American consumer? The resilient American consumer is resilient because they keep getting offers in their mail to refinance this, to finance that, refinance that, and consumer credit keeps going up. That's, that's actually great it's to pull up the chart. You can just talk to this, Dave. You, it's exactly what we're talking about, right? Exactly. So, you got I'm your... looking at the same one on my screen. Exactly. And, and that matters. So, you know, it, it's it, everyone, when you start saying that you're expecting deflation, I mean, sure, commodity deflation, if we continue to invest in excess capacity, Sure, that will happen. But there is no way that you could put the genie back in the bottle when it comes to services and people working. And wage push inflation is literally what happened in the 70s. And there were people talking about deflation once OPEC decided to stop screwing us in the 70s. And guess what? It doesn't work like that. People are demanding more. And just never forget that, that you know, the Federal Reserve is, as I keep saying, out on an island, the Basically, there are people in both parties. This is not this is not a Democrat Republican thing, although it's definitely more our current leaders cheerleading wages and cheerleading people saying they need to get more money. And that is inflationary. So, yeah, you might get things like oil, which we can produce more of if you deregulate. That's true. We certainly can induce energy deflation. We can unleash uh, productivity, but we haven't done it. And so I'll keep saying the same thing. The, the fact of the matter is consumer debt, just consumer credit, you know, not even we're not even talking mortgages that are going to revolving debt from my my view on that chart is approaching, you know, probably now one point three trillion dollars. That's double the market cap of Bitcoin. Double. That's just America. And yeah. so that's kind of my point. My point is the paper. I'm talking about the paper being being worth less. I don't know in real terms what could go up. I think Bitcoin is your best bet if, because it's, it's enormously speculative, right? You know, you want to talk about risk asset, it's a, it's an option. And I'm telling you, the numbers are around 4% probability of it becoming something, right? That, it, you know, people in Bitcoin land hate when I say that because like, oh, it already is something. And yeah, it's something if you're in Venezuela, maybe, or in Argentina, maybe, or in Turkey, maybe. But, you know, in the rest of the world, it is not. People want to be able to buy stuff in dollars and they want something stable. Uh, it is, however, a, a potential hedge against all this stuff blowing up. And everything in this conversation, literally everything you've said, Mike, everything James has said, everything I'm saying, are all reasons why a small portfolio allocation to an asset that is essentially a, a put against trust in institutions makes sense. Now you look at supply and demand and there isn't enough at prices even close to this uh, for people to have a 2% allocation across standard portfolios. It's not, not even close. And so that's my reasoning. Does that mean that it'll be, it will happen? No, I, I actually expect that there's a very real chance of a reckoning. I don't know when that reckoning happens, like Mike's calling for, very real chance. Could happen in the next three weeks. Literally could because October or next four weeks. October is traditionally the time when the stars align for uh, people who get this nervous and start pulling. And remember, this is a competitive game. You know, it's it's like what James talks about a credit event, and I think it'd be really useful to hear it. What, why, and the mechanics of that happening? If that happens, everything drops at the same time. There's no question, right? Yeah. This is not this is not rocket science here. Correlations go to one on the downside. What I'm talking about is inevitably where does it go. And what's yeah. the likely best port in the storm? That's all I'm saying. I'm not, yeah. I, I want to be really clear about that.
But yeah, and, and you know where where does it go? It really depends on again how big the credit event is. What like what which company or um, which you know country it happens to, uh, which sovereign, and how badly does that affect the treasury market? Because you know typically you have a flight to safety, right? A flight to safety with treasuries, but when you have a credit event. It's exactly what you just said, where it's just it, everything correlates to one. We've said it over and over again, just so people can actually hear it and get it in their heads that when a portfolio manager walks onto the floor and he has and he's looking at his book and he knows he's going to get a margin call over here because of you know every every fund, every investment fund has some sort of. Uh, uh, borrowing a capacity. And one, once they, they just take a peek at their book and they just say, look, sell 10, 15, 20% across the board. Just give me liquidity. So I, so I don't have a problem. And, and, you know, and when that happens, it doesn't matter what the asset is. It, it's, it's getting sold off. So that is the big question, but you know, look, you, you're, you're exactly right. And, and I think people have become complacent. And that is my worry, is that we're all just kind of like, oh, yeah, we're going to get through this fall and everything is going to be great. We're going to have a soft landing. But meanwhile, you know, Scott, I brought up that that chart on delinquencies. Delinquencies are rising, you know, on auto loans and credit cards. They're not at, they're not in anywhere near peak level yet, you know, but they are rising. And that is the that's kind of the, the stop sign that we're that we're charging right through here. And look at the student loans. They haven't even kicked in yet. I predict that those go between five and ten percent delinquency immediately. That is not going to be like it's oh, people have been saving money for you just saw people are not saving their money for the student loans. You know, who has student loans? Not the top 20%. They the, the middle 40 and the bottom 40%, mostly the middle 40, because they they don't take they have to take out loans because they don't get you know financial aid. And so that's going to be a problem, you know. It, it's it's kind of funny because this is another quote I read on Bloomberg this morning. It was it was it was, uh, it was almost laughable, but it's true. And this is where it, it's it's you know between Barbenheimer, Beyonce, and Taylor Swift, eight point five billion dollars were added to GDP in the third quarter, eight point five billion. And so when you think about these consumers who were borrowing on credit cards. And now they're like, okay, well, I got that Taylor Swift ticket for twelve hundred bucks, and I can't really pay for it. You know, that's where it starts kicking in. But it, they're all lagging effects. And so, you know, you go back to this chart and this chart. It's the lagging effects that we're going to start feeling. And well, welcome to October. You know, and that's. <laughs> Yeah, I thought so I was I want to ask Mike. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, I want to go ahead, but I do want to ask you a question before you get too McGloomy, which is at what to 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 talk about Bitcoin. Is there is there a price that Bitcoin could hit here in this environment that would make you rethink the thesis? If yeah, we were above thirty one k, if we were at thirty five or forty, yeah. It, it 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 would exactly it's it's um we show, share screen on it. it's 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 a lesson I learned in the trading puts pits and that is um show me the chart let the chart it's like it does it show good chart let me the market tell you and that's what it's I'm pointing out here is if it can at least sustain a day like today is 
great. What we've seen the last few weeks is great. What we've seen in Q3 is not good because Bitcoin was the first one to go down. Now look, stock market's rolling over and following it. Yeah, Bitcoin's bouncing a little bit, I get it. But absolutely, that's every day you look at this. So I this, this is what I keep thing showing here is if Bitcoin can show divergent strength versus negative liquidity and the stock market going down, there you have Dave's thesis kicking in. It's going to kick in someday. But it, so far this year, let's remember what's happened. All, liquid, all risk assets went down last year. All risk assets have gone up this year. Bitcoin has started going down before the other ones have. Yes, it's bounced in the last few days. That's the fact of what's happening. So absolutely, that's where we're going. But it's the key thing I want to put some levels on this without just trying to be the, you know, the doom and gloom guy. Let's take a talk about, and to me, not only this is not doom and gloom, this is from someone who spent his whole life on the phones with clients and running money. And this is a, Awesome opportunity for people who trade, who manage money, who are not just, oh, I've been long for the last 10 years and I buy every dip. That's what's going to change. And that's why I'm going to show one more chart. I want to point out this is the key thing, putting some, some numbers on it. I overlay here, it's again my main liquidity thing, Fed fund futures a year from now. I have to, can't emphasize that enough. Once that thing, when that keeps going down, that's price going down, it means they're not going to provide that liquidity. What's the number one rule in markets? It's liquidity. What's the key thing that's kept the stock market going up for the last 50 years? Every time it goes down, the Fed would ease. Here's a simple measure of what's happened for, since 2015. If you overlay the S&P 500 with copper, just take the S&P 500, divide by 1,000. It's the same price as the dollar price of copper. copper Copper is going to three, in my view, and a normal global contraction. It's happening in China. It's happening in Europe. It's happening here. And we're still hiking rates. That means to me, simplistically, S&P should, 500 should go back to 3,000. Now, for people who've traded for the last 10 years, that's a big deal. For people who've traded for 20 or 30 years, that's normal correction in, 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 in a recession. We haven't seen kick in since 2008. It's just the way things work. But then you add into the human nature, which Dave and, and um, James have mentioned. That human nature is the thing that I find so intriguing in this market. Is people will not believe it, I think, until they have to sell at lower levels, until their brokers give up. And I think this will be one of those cases in history. The only time will be to go in to buy risk assets with the exception of maybe Bitcoin or gold or um, treasury bonds are not risk assets, is when everybody gives up. And I didn't say if, it's just the way it's always happened in history after you have the biggest pump in liquidity ever, that's just in the early days of, of dumping. Let's remember this, M2 is still negative. I mean, it does feel like people gave up on crypto though. I know they didn't give up on the stock market at the bottom, but it certainly felt like a year ago at FTX that we had true capitulation in this market. I mean, look, the problem that I have with this narrative, and by the way, I agree with pretty much everything that Mike just said in terms of the S&P. The trade, I think, is the trade is long Bitcoin, short, uh, you know, short, you know, other risk assets and most notably equities and more more particularly probably biased one thirty thirty or whatever with some ratio. I would probably be more short than long uh, were I running money. Now, I am not running money, so I am just sitting with my own you know, very, very unlevered. I always say this. This is my public service announcement for all the morons out there that think that they're going to cap this, 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 this move. Uh, my unlevered uh, long position in Bitcoin, my you know belief in my own company and what that's worth. Some real estate that I suspect in nominal terms could could drop in in real terms could drop, but in nominal terms will probably stay where it is because we are going to see raging inflation unless we get unanimity on between the fiscal and monetary policy. There is no way the Fed 
on its own could do a damn thing to stop what's happening when everybody, and it doesn't matter where you are, you find somebody who believes that their purchasing power hasn't been hurt, that people think it's not fair. And, you know, the educational system, the youth, there's so many different things we could talk about. But the fact of the matter is, I do, I do believe Bitcoin will delink. I think it already is delinked. I think that that it you know that this is exactly the kind of cauldron which will help you know the second stage or third stage of the rocket to accelerate. But it won't be a rocket. It will be you know in terms of you know it, the metaphor is 2008 birthed Bitcoin, and all the machinations since then have helped the, the monetary network grow in power. But the point that I wanted to make is within the crypto sphere, you're already seeing what Mike has said, NFT values, which were insane. I mean, let's face it, a million dollars for a freaking rock, you know, millions of dollars for JPEG pictures that a child could create. I mean, and an infinite supply of these things. Of course, that had to crash. But we, that, may have, we may have printed too much money. That is the leading <laughs> indicator that says it's already happened. But but literally even talking about JPEG NFTs and Bitcoin in the same sentence is malpractice. They are totally different things. So and true. Problematic. When you talk about meme coins and Bitcoin in the same sentence, arguably they're totally different things. And it's it, and it's it's borderline malpractice. I and mean, people are I know I'm gonna rile up your audience, Scott. Good. The fact of the matter is there are still of the thousands of projects there are, there probably are a hundred that bode incredibly well for the future of, of, of markets where they are niche. So gaming is a real use case and it is larger than Hollywood and it is larger than that GDP spike that James talked. We're talking double digit trillions. So yeah, there will be some. The possibility for level layer ones and twos to help scale a new financial system, sure. How, what percentage of the current tokens in, the, in, in whichever index you use are actually part of that? I have no idea. I honestly don't. I know Bitcoin- 1% like, of 1%. Yeah, that's sort of, that's kind of Maybe. the thing. So yes, what you're saying, Mike, is absolutely true. And the best possible outcome, it won't happen because we never get things as nice and neat. The best possible outcome would be Bitcoin delinking from the rest of crypto and potentially Ether delinking. Doing that, Ether. Yeah. But Ether's use case is part of its use case now is to support all this crap. And so yeah. Ether has to take a hit relative to if, if the rest of crypto, which was liquidity fueled, finally dies out. That doesn't mean there is an enormous potential for Ether to be used in financial markets and other use cases that are real. It just means that a lot of what's has sustained Ether over the last you know, three years have been NFTs and meme coins. Right. So that's kind of my point. My point is looking at crypto monolithically is like looking at the stock market monolithically and comparing a utility paying. You know, OK, if they're paying less than, than T-bill yields, probably you don't like it too much. And maybe they have regulatory issues with, you know, global warming. Da, 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 da. But, you know, when you look at certain stocks, there is there is massive dispersion in yields in the stock market. Right. And massive dispersion in in pro, in, in valuations in the stock market there. It is actually probably larger in crypto. That's kind so of by point. the way, Dave, you, you you brought up earlier, obviously, the arguments of energy FUD against Bitcoin. I don't know if you guys saw, but there was a slew of articles this week, basically, that you could have replaced the word uh, AI or Bitcoin with AI. And we're getting a whole slew of articles now saying that AI is going to boil the oceans and is using more energy mm -hmm. than the country of Argentina. It's literally the exact 
same articles we got about Bitcoin for years now on the newest emerging technology. And you even see like Gensler in the SEC now saying, forget crypto, AI. Yeah, but here's a good right? news. It, it's uh, a, it's we, almost like a new tech, any new technological advancement now is going to get the same checklist of fear, uncertainty, and doubt. But, but if we boil the oceans, then we won't have a water shortage, which is the next thing, right? <laughs> that's right. Desalin, that's called desalinization. It's exactly what, 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 we want. what you're describing also is one of those wonderful things about human nature. It'll never change. It's so entertaining in markets, just sensing that and seeing it. And I, I remember, as I'm sure, you, you know, when you're trading, sometimes you look for those signals like, oh, OK, so they point out there's a double cross bear signal in uh, what Bitcoin? Well, then I'll buy some. I mean, that's just the way it works. But I want to just show you one key chart. I'm going to admit it's, it is. It, that's no, no, it is. It's all, it, works. It, is, I mean, it is emotion. It is emotion materialized. Yeah. That's what the market is. It's, it's it literally is human perfect. emotion materialized, period. But I want to just take out, I showed you the shorter term. I think the S&P is going to 3,000. I think, particularly, I'll show you this next chart. I think by the end of this year, what's going to have some clear signals that the stock market is in a bear market. And that'll be, so by come December, if we're not, McGloom's going to going to have to really change. But I think it's already starting to kick over. But to me, it's also, when you see 100-year patterns, which is what I show you here, in orange, that is just the S&P 500, S&P 500 divided by GDP. Um, you just take trillions, add two zero, and you got the S&P 500. So it got the most expensive ever when rates were in the longest period in history of zero and globally negative. And it got very cheap back in the 80s when rates were really high. All we're doing is reverting that. It's that simple. It's not going to be easy. It's not a short term. It's not a day trade. But to me, that's what's happening in the macro. This is why Bitcoin was born. It was born in this environment. That's why I'm worried. This is where all cryptos were born. And that's what we all agree on. Most of those 30,000 cryptos are probably, they might not go to zero, but they've got a lot to still give up. Um, and sorry about people holding their bags. What did you buy and why? You bought it for speculation. Come on. We all know that. Um, but this to me is what's happening. All what we're going to do is go back to normal. We have always over history, go back to parity with GDP, and it's going to seem horrible. But key thing is right now, there's nothing to stop it. Fiscal spending is already given up. We've hit the diminishing returns. The Fed is still tightening. And they said they'll keep tightening. Yes, what? You know what they're going to stop tightening? Probably when we start heading towards here. Because if they don't, if they if they step in too early, that's our that's our path to hyperinflation. And they know and, that. and that's the key thing I want to point out. I forgot to mention. This is the path back to deflation. Just right. taking this most unprecedented period in history, you find out everybody who wasn't wearing clothes and has 14 Airbnbs and all these condos and everything, taking that back down a little a notch. Sorry, it's just the way human nature's always worked and that's the massive deflation because we just pumped the system to the most expensive ever and only actually 1929 was the only time we got the more higher than this and, versus gdp and we and all the know there's only one like, problem I, I i'm sorry every time you say deflation i want to be clear the u.s government the japanese government the uk government the government of most of europe not not necessarily germany literally can't pay their debt back now we've reached we've gone through there was a great article i can't remember who wrote it it was talking about the 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 black hole and the it's it, it's someone that you follow james or maybe, maybe even it was you i don't know but they were talking about the event horizon and the mm -hmm. fact of the matter is they can't pay it back with deflation that's impossible the it might have been Luke roman yeah right yeah. the only way the only way the governments are going to be able to pay back the debt they have or as opposed to kicking the can down the road is with inflation so you might see deflation in commodities. You might see a massive recession or even depression 
which causes you know people that you know which causes more misery but in adjusted misery for what's going on the government can't afford to pay back their debts unless there's unless there is some version of inflation that's just that's just math and yeah. so yes and, and that's actually bleaker than anything else um scott one other thing i want to say is there's an, one of my favorite lectures ever given by isaac asimov uh it's called the future of humanity you can look it up uh I, I have the link here i can you know share it he actually talks about human history and what they do in terms of re- objecting to new technologies and my favorite one is he talks about uh the bernoulli's principle and the and the and the, the, the canal operators railing against horse-drawn carriages for delivering stuff it's it's but it goes but, he, but he's it's very funny but it's very good and that's that when you talk about ai that's all i could think of it's like okay you know what what is the way out of this mess there's only one it's deregulation and a massive increase in GDP, uh, kind of a.k.a. the next industrial revolution. That's it. That is the only way for Mike to be right. They have massive deflation in the ability to provide stuff to people uh, because it costs less to do so. And that's why, you know, and so th- th- that's the, that's literally the only way out. But the, the big point here is, yes, the government needs inflation of a sort, monetary inflation. The government does not need consumer inflation. They want monetary inflation. That's right. They want to get back to where we were before the morons decided that you could throw helicopter money at human beings when supply chains were being constricted and not increase and not switch from monetary inflation to consumer inflation. Right. And by the way, once again, both parties, this is not a political anything. I mean, this Trump is the one who started with that and it's just been continued. That dichotomy is is extremely important, and very few people talk about it. There are a few, but it is a big deal because it, you know inflationary expectations, and we're seeing it is is what matters. If people think they need to be pay more to do something uh, because they can't afford their current world, that's going to be inflationary on the consumer side. It might be deflationary on the asset side, and that's exactly the opposite of what we want. What we want is asset inflation and consumer deflation. What we're likely to get is asset deflation and consumer inflation, which is literally Great. the opposite. Seriously, that that, that, that to me is the key because everything that Mike is saying is leading towards that outcome. I'm not saying it's 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 baked in the cake. They might be able to kick the can again, but the truth of the matter is that's what the, that is the situation we face. And they know- So it's, it's just, certainly understand. Which is a, a good example in history of a rhyme. The deflation in 1933 ended when we debased the currency versus gold. What did it take to get to that inflation? Severe deflation. To me, that's the scenario you mentioned Japan. So I have to show this chart. Right now, the current situation for U.S. trajectory is severe deflation. We're already showing it in PPI. Money supply is negative. The dollar is unstoppable. That's the case right now. Yes, the deficit. I get all that. But to me, here's the trend. Okay, so we've seen what's happened in Japan in the last two decades, since 1989 typically, is negative zero interest rates, massive deficits, they've been able to manage it. Um, here's a snare I'm thinking, we're gonna get to that severe great reset, and then at some point markets and governments will have to do something to re-inflate. But the first thing is you deflate what's already happening, and that means everybody, everything. And I, I, here, here's a key, the bridge you gotta get across, you have to at least have money supply increase. If you have a decline supply of money, there's no way prices can go up. It's just the way it always works. You, you get that, how the math goes. And as I pointed out, PPI this year has dropped at a greater pace than any time in history. So 
from an aberration. It's that next step. And I, like I say, is what's the next step? To me, the first step is here. I'll show you this one screen. This is the one screen I, I want to say that we have to watch. The number one first step is we have to at least take tightening out of the system. So right now, Fed fund futures are priced for 32% per chance that they'll hike by the end of this year. 5.4, 5.46 is the rate expected from futures versus effective rate of 5.33. That's my point is the Fed, the fiscal, the monetary um, phenomena is still reducing that liquidity, which is deflationary. And until that speaker gets turned back on, we should expect risk assets to continue to decline. You can see that obviously in broad cryptos, particularly today. Like every other one, I barely, nothing's up like Bitcoin is. So maybe Bitcoin's finally doing that digital gold thing. But this to me is the number one thing we have to, let's at least get past this before we can start talking about inflated inflation. The Fed has still got his hammer on that button, which is the number one thing in history to push back on I mean, money supply. I mean, just reducing that supply of money, which we pumped up too much in the last three years. Right, and so, so, so Scott, the last the last chart to 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 put a you know an yeah, then I got to go because I'm literally setting up breakfast around me and cleaning around my uh, feet. <laughs> <laughs> this, and this right here, it, it puts a you know the, uh, an accent on what Mike is saying is that we're you're watching the banks tightening their lending standards and and this is always happens right before a recession or into a recession and look at where it is now. And so we're, we're getting there guys. And that's, and that's where deflation occurs. Agreed. There won't be a soft landing guys. No. The, the, the moral of the story is we have four people here who think a recession at the very least is coming. See, they're now they're cleaning right around me. Yeah. <laughs> I know, Mike, I want to make one joke, by the way, because you sort of made the joke about, oh, the double death, whatever, cross and price. If you guys uh, were following <laughs> one of the big analysis the other day was this uh, death cross right here that was going to uh, crush, that was going to crush us all. And if you had bought that death cross instead of selling it, you bought exactly at 24927 with price now currently breaking through resistance at 28000 500, <laughs> right. So that was that was the ultimate bottom signal was the death cross of the 50 and 200 MA that uh, was so Perfect. much discussed. On. Well, guys, this is amazing. First of all, I, I saw in the chat and I have to do it real quick. Des, I saw that you said to give your wife a shout out for uh, her birthday is tomorrow. And Des is here every single day. And his wife, he said, uh, allows him to be here and to join us. So <laughs> thank you to her. And huge shout out to her. Somebody else in there also said it was her birthday today. 43 years old. Happy birthday. It's Green Happy Day birthday. So guys, listen, I got the sun to rise behind me, James. We did it. It's, um, it's, it's, I it's feel like on my one of us. <laughs> nice. <laughs> we did it. All right, guys. Thank you so much. I got to run. They're going to they're gonna kick me out. Bye, everyone. See, see, oh, I'm going to be here the next three days, everybody. I will be back Friday. Bye, everyone. Peace. That's dope.